Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Now, today's guest is Bobby Brown, the founder of Bobby Brown Cosmetics and CEO of Beauty Evolution. She is an absolute creative genius, not just in makeup, in her whole life. When Bobby comes up against problems, she approaches them in the most wonderful and non-traditional ways. And boy, does it work. She basically reinvented makeup in the 80s, and then she built a billion-dollar brand, and now she's leading a successful wellness brand called Beauty Evolution. And she's doing it all by the beat of her own drum. But hear this, she's not doing it alone. Along the way, she has found some incredible partners, people whose skill sets go hand-in-hand with her creativity, and they're accomplishing these big goals together. You know, as leaders, we all have unique gifts, but we need the right people alongside us to counterbalance those gifts, to fill in the gaps, to see into our blind spots, and to help us do more than we ever could alone. Thanks to Bobby, you're about to learn that wonderful things happen when we surround ourselves with the right partners. So here's my conversation with my good friend and soon to be yours, Bobby Brown. Bobby, I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure to talk to you. And it's also really interesting and fun that I got to meet you last week socially over, you know, a nice cocktail. So I'm looking forward to this. Bobby, every woman I've talked to that I've said, boy, I'm going to, I'm going to have a podcast with Bobby Brown. They go, you got to be kidding me. What, (laughs) you know, they're, they're so excited to hear the podcast, but what's it like to have a name that's synonymous with one of the great beauty brands in the world? Well, the great thing is I don't have a face that's that synonymous. So, you know, (laughs) I could walk around and not be bothered, but it's interesting to be able to drop a name and people know it. I, you know, I was at it for so long, I never realized, you know, the scope of it until I left the company. I want to get to the, the brand itself, but first I want to take you way back. Can, can you tell us a story about yourself as a kid that will tell us a, a lot about the, the leader that you've become? Um, sure. I mean, I, I had a pretty ordinary growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, the oldest of three kids with a mother and father who were 20 and 21 when I was born. And, you know, pretty much I just was this normal kid and, you know, watching my parents kind of grow up in front of me. And I think probably the most remarkable thing at the time was my relationship with my grandparents, you know, Nana and Papa, who were probably in their 40s when I was born. And, you know, which is now how old parents are today and how old I was for my third kid. But being with them, A, it gave me the security and comfort to be down to earth in myself. But I got to watch Papa Sam do his business. And honestly, everything I learned in business, I learned watching Papa Sam. And what was his business, Bobby? Papa came over from Russia, not knowing anyone. And, you know, the story is that he, you know, had a paper route as a young kid. And then he had a uh, woman's purse line. And then he ended up to be Cadillac Sam, well known for being the guy that would get you the Cadillac in Chicago. And I just watched him market. I watched him treat his customers, treat his employees. 
you know, all five, five of him. He was a little, <laughs> little teeny guy. You know, I understand that you actually took the lead and designed your own major in college. Tell us about that. It was actually my third college because my first college, I followed a boyfriend. And then the second college, I followed the boyfriend again, but then got a new boyfriend. The third college was actually where my mother sat me down and basically said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I have no idea. And she said, well, it's your birthday. And I said, I'd love to go to the department store and play with makeup. She says, I'm sure there's a college somewhere. And just luck of the draw, a friend of my dad's told me about Emerson College in Boston. And I flew up, looked at Emerson College. They did not have makeup. They had something called an interdisciplinary major, which I still don't know what that means. But basically, it, it meant that I got to make up my own major. I made up makeup. I said, yes, I want to do theatrical makeup. I want to minor in photography. And I just made up all these rules. And it kind of worked. <laughs> I guess so. You know, So you, you start your career out as a makeup artist. How did the Bobby Brown brand come about? When I graduated college, I had no clue what to do. I had, you know, written a couple letters to people unanswered. I moved to New York, didn't know a soul. And I just was like, all right, what am I going to do? And I took out the yellow pages and looked up models and modeling agencies. And I started just networking and meeting people and asking a lot of questions. And I finally, after probably about six months, I got hired to do a magazine shoot and that's like a one-day shoot. And I got to do a magazine shoot on a dancer. I met the photographer. And you just start building relationships. And probably the next job was weeks or months away. But I stuck with it and I pounded the pavement. And it, you know, it took a while to be able to pay my rent. My dad actually gave me a gift for a year. He paid my rent because I wouldn't have made it otherwise. And eventually, I started working. It took me seven years to reach my goal, which was to get a Vogue cover. I got a cover of Vogue magazine, which was a big, big deal you know, in my career. And I didn't even have a thought about having a makeup line. And one day I met a chemist at a shoot and I told him that I hated lipsticks on the market and I wanted to make one that had these qualities. And he said, I can make them for you. And that's how I got the idea to have a brand. As I understand it, you really bucked the trend in makeup back then. How so? Well, makeup in the 80s was very artificial and women were, you know, putting on these pink foundations and painting in these sculpted cheeks and contouring their faces. There was, you know, yellows and greens and blue and bright color. And I came to New York and I just wasn't talented enough to sculpt a face that way. Plus, I thought everyone looked terrible. <laughs> and I started doing makeup the way I thought they looked better, which was actually makeup that was the color of the skin, blush that was the color of your cheeks, and all these different you know things that didn't exist. So I didn't realize I was changing the industry. I was just making people look in my eyes better. What was the biggest obstacle, Bobby, you had to overcome to get your business off the ground? You hook up with this chemist, you get the product. Now, how'd you get it going? Well, well, the hardest part really at the time was I had just had a baby. I was in the suburbs of New Jersey. I was commuting. My husband was in law school. The real estate market, you know, crashed. So his real estate business, you know, kind of shrunk down. He went back to law school and I was commuting by bus 
and coming home to take care of my kid at night. And it was, it was insane. And I was selling these lipsticks to my friends, to models, to editors. Now they call them influencers. But at the time, they were just people I knew. And you know, I was selling them out of my house. And I went from one lipstick to 10. I just... I, I don't know. I, I never thought I was building a company. I never thought I was building a brand. I was just selling these cool lipsticks that I thought were better than anything on the market. <laughs> and then one day I was at a party and met this really nice lady, lived in Manhattan. I asked her what she did. And lo and behold, she said, I'm a cosmetics buyer at Bergdorf Goodman. I had never shopped at Bergdorf because I couldn't afford it. But I told her about this range and she said, oh, we should take it. And that's kind of how I went from selling it out of my kitchen to, which I did for a year and a half, by the way, my, now they call it a side hustle. And I ended up launching Bergdorf Goodman. When did you know you had a winner? I mean, you got the distribution there. When did you know, hey, look, I've really got something here. Well, I always knew because I knew it was better than anything I saw. I knew, you know, now it's called, you, you know, you know, you have potential, but I knew People liked it. I showed it to them. I, you know, I, I saw their reaction. They tried it on. I knew I had a winner. And when we projected that we would sell 100 lipsticks the first month at Bergdorf, I didn't know what a projection was back then. And we sold 100 the first day. And you know, people started writing about it in magazines. Yes, they were my friends, the editors. And it kind of spread and people started telling their friends and it just became a thing. What's the most important advice you can give people about what it takes to be an entrepreneur? Oh my God, you have to be upbeat. You can't be one of these like, woe is me people. You have to be someone who, you know, sees the glass full, even if it's kind of half empty. And you just have to be someone that figures it out and doesn't get kind of stuck in the threads when things aren't going well. You know, entrepreneurs know a way out of any situation. All right, that didn't work. Let me try that. You know, Bobby, I was surprised to learn that just after four years, you know, you, you, you start this company up, then Estelada swoops in. They, they see a really good thing when they see you and they buy your company. Uh, what was your thought process at the time in terms of why you would uh, move into such a corporate world? Well, we were not for sale. We had business partners, my husband and I and this other couple. And it was not a very easy relationship. We're friendly with them now, but it was, it was a little tough for a while. And I had had my second son. I was still working as a makeup artist and trying to be the mom and trying to do all that. And we weren't for sale. There were two other companies, a Japanese company, a French company that we had so many meetings with. And then we got a call from Leonard Lauder and it was like, okay. And basically when he said to me, you remind me of my mother. Uh, I, I, you've been beating us in the stores. So I think the best thing is that we buy you. And you know, Leonard, we're not for sale. And he said, what if I told you that you can have complete autonomy? I didn't know what autonomy was, but um, he did give it to me. <laughs> and, and you could do what's important to you, which is the creative, the vision, and you could be a mom and a wife. And I just thought that was a really good deal. So yeah. we sold it. <laughs> what was it you learned from uh, Leonard Lauder? He's a legend. He is a, he is a legend. What I learned from him, the, probably the best thing is he would just say to me, um, don't ever ask for permission, beg for forgiveness. 
And I did. And trust me, it wasn't always popular. And when I needed something or wanted something, I would just call him where everyone else is going through all the layers. And, um, you know, he was really good to me. Bobby, you're obviously, you're a creative genius. You know, what should leaders know about the creative psyche and how to get the most out of a creative talent? That is such a great question because I cannot tell you how many people I worked with that did not understand me. And the few, you know, people who are now my mentors and dear friends would always say, oh my God, if I only had someone like you, what we could have done together. Because we're not like everyone else. I'm not traditional. Yes, I could put on a suit and go to a meeting, but you know, like if you're going to talk about things that don't matter, I'm going to be bored and just come up with an idea. You just have to understand that we entrepreneurs are creative beings. We need people who are business-minded and help us figure out how to get things done. And you know, if you are a creative entrepreneur but have a business sense, which I do, I see opportunity. I'm not just, you know, like, you know, someone that walks around with stars in my eyes. So having a partner is everything to me. A lot of people aren't creative, Bobby. I mean, and how how do you be creative? I don't think you could just say I want to be creative. It's like me saying I want to paint and dance. Like that's not going to happen, you know? So I think it's I I believe in life we all have these gifts or superpowers. I didn't know what my gift was when I was young and I felt that I wasn't smart. I certainly didn't care about math and science. I certainly didn't care about, you know, spreadsheets and all these different things, but my gift has always been to be able to look at something and think how they could be better and how to make it better and how to make it for less money and then how to tell people about it and how to know if they actually like it. That's, that's a gift that I didn't know I had. So you don't really think you can train people to look for answers that aren't necessarily that evident. You think that's a gift? I, I do. I do. I think it's really hard. And guess what? Not everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur. And there's a lot of creative people, by the way, that can't get themselves you know, out of a box. They have these amazing ideas, but they're going in circles. Just like there's a lot of brilliant women that I, you know, different times in my business that I hired that graduated from the top schools. And honestly, by the time they were done analyzing what I wanted to do, I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> you know, so it's, you, you go from this startup entrepreneur, really small uh, company, you get acquired by this huge company. What was it like for you when you first made that shift? when you moved inside. And I know Leonard gave you a free reign, but it was a different animal, right? Oh my God. First of all, you know, there were so many positives and so many negatives. First of all, I was a deer in a headlight. I was 34 years old, had two kids, was commuting in, probably didn't sleep the night before because my kids had chicken pox or whatever it is. I, I had to stop at school. I had to go to a shoot at night. And I would come to these corporate meetings and, you know, sit behind these tables with people that I didn't know, you know, I think about Papa Sam, I'd look up and I'd be, Papa, look at me, I'm sitting at this, you know, (laughs) board meeting, what is going on here? And you know what, people were kind to me and it was, you know, a small family in the beginning and I was able, I felt comfortable enough to say what I didn't know. I didn't have to pretend I knew what they were talking about in the beginning. And I learned a lot. I really, it was on the job training but the, the perks of having you know, a, a corporate company like this that 
that thought I was the greatest. I mean, Leonard thought I was the greatest thing. And, you know, I got to go to all his amazing parties that he had and dinners and met all these great people. And, you know, it was amazing. It opened my eyes to a whole nother world. How many people did you have working for you at Estelada? And, and what was your approach to managing them? When we first sold the company, I mean, there was a handful. I mean, I don't think there was 10. Um, and there was, you know, my partner at the time who I think only stayed under a year from when uh, the, they bought us. I stayed for 22 years. So there was a lot of different, you know, things that happened in 22 years, um, including, you know, a third child. But, um, you know, the company grew and we had, you know, more people that, that came in that did different jobs and we, you know, expanded distribution. And my role was clear but fuzzy. And, you know, the business role was more clear. And um, it was magic for a lot of years. What kind of culture did you try to create with the, with the teams that you worked with? I, I always tried to create a culture of openness, you know, kind of against everything I saw in, in corporations and big companies. We moved downtown. I, I talked everybody into letting me get a place in Soho. Because going up to the GM building, I would have to change my clothes to go up there. And I'm, that's like crazy. So I moved to Soho. I actually you know, handpicked my president at the time. And we completely changed the culture. We made it a culture of people wearing jeans. We brought a manicurist in that everybody was welcome to. Everyone paid for their own. And you know, it was a much, much different than a corporate environment. And the company grew. One of the reasons why I know you grew is you got a lot of, a lot of press and well-deserved press. And you had a huge relationship as a regular on the uh, Today Show. Uh, how'd that come about? And, and what'd you learn from that experience? Well, it was not a strategic play, but it sure should have been because it just happened. I was at a book signing uh, in Florida and this really adorable you know, 80-something-year-old woman told me how much she liked me. And she said, I've seen you on the Today Show. I had been on once. And she said, is there anything else you would want to accomplish in your career? I had just done my first book. I said, yeah, I'd like to be a regular on the Today Show. And she said, honey, Jeff Zucker is my grandson, who is the executive producer of the Today Show. She called Jeff. I got on the show on Monday. And he came down. He said, what do you want? I said, can I have a week, a, a monthly segment? And, uh, and the next month he came down and said, what do you want? I said, can I be called a beauty editor? And he's like, oh, all right, we've never had one of those, but it just sounded, <laughs> sounded good to me. You know, there was a news editor. I'm like, all right, I want to be the beauty editor. And he never came down a third month. So I never asked him for money, but <laughs> I stayed on that show for 14 years, once a month where I literally taught people about makeup. I never pushed my line. I never talked about a product, a new drop, nothing. And I became known for my expertise and a persona that was a little separate from the company. So you, you taught people about makeup. And I understand you also did a masterclass on, on, on how to do makeup. Uh, what do you think really makes a good teacher? What makes you a good teacher? I think I'm a good teacher because I understand what people go through. I understand women. I know what they have trouble with. I know what they 
you know, what, what they feel insecure about. And I just, I, I don't know, I think I'm just a kind person by nature. So especially if I see someone struggling, I am very, you know, happy to show them how simple it is. And I've had so many experiences as a makeup artist and a teacher for people that have been through some horrific things in their life. And, you know, it just makes me, I think, a kinder teacher. So what kind of process do you go through, Bobby, to, to prepare yourself to teach? Uh, how do you get organized? How do you clarify what you really want to communicate? I don't really spend a lot of time in anything I do organizing. It's kind of all in my head. And, you know, I've written nine books, by the way, and all of those books are visual ideas that I have. And I usually have a writer and everyone wants to do like some kind of an outline. And I'm like, okay, I'm not writing this book before I photograph it. And I just, I, I honestly, David, I just do things different than other people. And it's so much easier for me. And the trick for me and my success is so much based on having people around me that understand me and, and be open to doing something a new way. You know, so you stay on at Estee Lauder for 22 years. Can you tell us a story about the watershed moment that made you decide it was time to leave? Well, there was so many. I mean, there was honestly for a couple of years, I just kept complaining to my husband to my friends, to my Aunt Alice, but I, I'm such a naive, positive person that I thought, all right, I could fix this. If they only allow me to hire this, if they only allow me to do this, okay, if, if we can only do this. And it kind of never happened. And one day I was talking to my Aunt Alice and she said, my Aunt Alice is 89 years old and the most sensible person in the universe, Papa Sam's daughter, by the way. And she said, you know what? It's time. It's time. I all every time we talk, all I hear you talk about is what's wrong and how you're how you're going to fix it. You can't fix it. And then I'm like, you know what? You're right. And it kind of happened at a moment. It was not planned out. Uh, it was a conversation. It went like that, and I literally walked away. What tips would you have for others to to figure out when it's time to move on? Yeah, well, you know, every situation is different and you just have to always think about how happy or how unhappy you are and what is the ROI? Like what is, you know, are you making so much money that it's worth you staying for a while to finish paying for your kids' college? Is it so miserable that you don't care and you'll get a wait, you know, a waiting job? you know, to pay your rent. I mean, everyone has different situations and you don't know. And what I, what I do know now is all the fear of, oh my God, what if I leave? And when you do leave, the relief that comes over you from all the problems that can't be fixed is amazing, which I'm sure you could relate right. to. You've, you know, run big companies and then you you change jobs or directions and all the things that, you know, kept you up at night, you're like, not my problem anymore. So, you know, but, but thank God I had the experience. And when I left Bobby Brown Cosmetics, I was 59.9 years old without knowing anything that I was going to do. I walked away and it was like, I thought I was done. I thought people weren't going to care about me. I thought people weren't going to ask me, you know, any questions anymore. And it became the opposite. You know, so how'd you pick yourself up and get started again? 
Well, I didn't really fall down, which maybe I should have. I came home and I called my best friends that luckily for me live next door to me. They, they moved next door, which was great. They brought over a bottle of tequila. We talked. <laughs> the next day they came over again. We did it. And the third day I started making phone calls to make lunch plans with people, people that I haven't seen in a while. And one of the two early calls was to a guy named Richard Baker, who at the time owned Lord & Taylor. He was trying to figure out how to save it. And he said, all right, we have this real estate in the middle of the, of the Fifth Avenue store. I need to bring some excitement. What if we give you that space and you turn it into the, your own shop, shop within a shop? And I'm like, what am I going to put in that shop? He's like, anything you want. I said, all right, what if we call it Just Bobby? And what if I curate like cool clothes and sneakers and... I did it and I put a team together and honestly, it was a week or so after I left the brand. So you start Just Bobby, a week after you leave the brand, you start up Evolution 18, you, you write a book, Beauty from the Inside Out. You know, my God, where do all these ideas come from? You say, and you did Just Body a week after you quit, you know, do you sleep well, at night or what well, do you yeah, do? No, I mean, I, you know what? I, I'm asleep by 10, 10, 30. And I don't start working till at least 10 in the morning because I need to exercise in the morning. My lifestyle is honestly what kind of leads me to you know, my work style. And by the way, you hire the team you, and you work with the team and we discuss things and that's how things get done. And I love like working with young interesting, energetic, optimistic kids because so many people have been burned so much in the workforce that sometimes you hire someone who has a lot of knowledge. But they're just, no, 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 that's not going to work. That's not going to work. I like people that say, wow, that's so interesting. Let's try it. Tell us about Evolution 18. Well, Evolution 18, which is a wellness brand, um, I did not, again, I did not set to create a wellness brand. I had my ninth book, Beauty from the Inside Out, to promote when I left the brand. I actually wrote it while I was still at the brand. It came out uh, April after I left the brand, which was also my 60th birthday. So I had a book to promote and I did it so differently than all the other things I did when I was part of the corporation. I literally took Ubers, to the different you know, stations. I wore sneakers and not high heels. I, I did not bring a hairdresser. I got a blowout at dry bar. I did my makeup in the car. And you know what? It was such a less stressful, easier way and more comfortable for me. So that was great. And then while I was promoting that, QVC actually called me and said, what would you like to do? We'd like to do something with you. And we discussed this vitamin wellness brand. And uh, I had a vitamin manufacturer and I sat down and thought about some products that I were not out there that I thought would help, help people. I also went back to school and I got my degree as a health coach, uh, you know, a digital school. So I got to do that at home. So you go from this beauty guru to now you're a wellness guru. You just talked about how you started the platform here. When you look at beauty and wellness, which which platform gives you the most joy? Well, it's really funny. I see them together. 
And that look, there's nothing I like better than being a makeup artist. There's nothing I like better than making makeup. But I also am obsessed with health and wellness. And certainly, you know, the effects it has on your skin, on your hair. So combining it all, which I think is the most modern thing, is really what excites me the most. You've had so much success, Bobby. Tell us about what you would consider your biggest failure and what you learned from it. Well, you know, there's been many. There's been a lot of, you know, people that I hired that I thought were my guys, trustworthy, and they weren't. You know, there was a big divide often with people that worked for me that were also, you know, had a uh, worked with the corporation. So, you know, mostly d- disappointed in people. Um, you know, yes, I made the decisions to hire a lot of them, but, you know, that was something I had to get over. And, you know, you know, I, I'm someone that looks at things that don't work out and I think, okay, that didn't work out. Why? What did I learn from it? And okay, let me do something else. And there's lots of them. There's products that were brought out. There's, you know, there's companies that I started that are not there. I mean, I had an eyeglass brand for a couple of years. And when retail started to go down, it started to go down. And the eyeglass manufacturer didn't know how to shift online. So it didn't work. You really focus on helping women get comfortable with who they are. Uh, tell us the origin of that passion, Bobby. Well, I think, you know, growing up, I used to watch my absolutely stunning, gorgeous parents, and I always wanted to look like them. Their friends were, you know, so, like so gorgeous, you know, in the 70s. And I just never felt that I was pretty enough. I never felt I was as attractive as my you know, my tall blonde uh, cheerleader friends. And what changed my life is when I went to see the movie Love Story and I saw Ally McGraw and I saw a natural, dark-haired, hardly any makeup, not fancy girl who I thought was so beautiful, who kind of looked like me a little bit. And that's when I realized there's more than one way to be beautiful. And that really helped me realize I could be beautiful my own way. I don't have to look like, you know, the models or Barbie or, you know, people that I don't look like. You know, authenticity is such a buzzword in leadership today. You built a business on it. I just, to me, it's like a joke when they say, yeah, the trend is authenticity and transparency. It's like, wait a minute, isn't that how we're all supposed to be? And that's (laughs) the way I was raised. And you know, look, I am the person that if you ask me a question, I will tell you the truth. I don't always think about how the words come out. So sometimes it might be a little stinging. I try to be nice, but I have a wicked sense of humor and I am very quick. So sometimes I don't think before I speak. That is a quality I corporately, I always got in trouble and I, you know, I tried to get better at. (laughs) (laughs) You really seem to have a lot of fun doing stuff that you don't know a lot about. Uh, You move into different things. And how do you give yourself the confidence to get out of your comfort zone? Well, I don't, again, I might probably the best trait I have that I can't teach anyone is I'm so friggin' naive Like, I just don't think something's not going to work out. I just think, oh, that sounds so interesting. Let me try it. You know, I got a call one day from Marissa Meyer at Yahoo. And she said, we want to build a digital beauty magazine. 
and we want you to be the editor in chief. I was still at Bobby Brown Cosmetics and I was like, what? Okay. Interesting. I don't know how to type. <laughs> um, okay. Now I've got to go, you know, get permission from Estee Lauder. And I did it. And I was like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I got to hire people around me that did know. And I did it. And I did it for two years and it was the most incredible experience. And I love doing things I don't know how to do. I, I think it's interesting. You've conducted, I've, I understand, what you call confidence interviews uh, with women that you admire. Uh, who, who would be some of those women and what have you learned by doing this? Well, there's certainly so many. I mean, I'm, I'm so lucky that I get to meet all these incredible women. So, I mean, the first one that popped in my head is a woman named Joanna Cole, who is the uh, editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar. Then she was like the chief content officer at Hearst. And she was just the cool... She still is the coolest, most confident, like funny person, you know, married with kids, you know, wicked sense of humor. And I built this friendship and I always, okay, Joanna, who are you seeing? What kind of doctor? What are you eating? What are you doing? How do you manage this? And I built these friendships with these women and I love sharing their stories with the general public, which is one of the things that I do with justbobby.com is have these people as my experts. And it's a reason I have a podcast because I do think that we all learn a lot by listening to people's stories. By the way, I think women need to lift other women up. Bobby, what's it like to work with Bobby Brown? <laughs> well, you're asking the wrong person. You can ask my husband and my kids, they would tell you one thing. And if you ask, you know, Tara, who started as my executive assistant, and now she is basically the, you know, runs all of my brands, she has a very thick skin. We, you know, I could whine to her and be myself. I could tell her everything. And she says, once you are in the fold and understand how this, you know, in, in, interesting, crazy, nice, you know, impatient woman is, it, it's, it's like magic happens. So, I, you know, I can guarantee you out of all the hundreds of people that worked with me, you know, when I was part of the corporation, there was plenty of people that didn't understand me or my style and would not be saying the most lovely things. And there's other people that would say it was a dream. <laughs> you obviously have a lot of self-reflection. You're very self-aware. Yeah. How do you go about coaching yourself, Bobby? Well, um, I need to calm myself down more and it's something I'm working on. You know, I wake up and especially now during the pandemic and, you know, you wake up and you're like, you know, you open an eye and you're like, okay, here we are. And I have my coffee, I read the newspaper and then it's like, and you know, if I have any kind of like little bit of like, uh, you know, low, low moment, I just say enough. I wipe, you know, turn myself positive and get out. I exercise first thing in the morning every day. And that helps me get the cobwebs out of my head. And it helps me kind of set the tone for the day. And I also bring my phone with me. If I'm not listening to podcasts, I just pick up the phone and call someone I need to talk to. 
or someone I haven't talked to in a while. And it just helps me process things. How have you gone about embracing social media and how do you think leaders today should think about it? Well, unfortunately, I've embraced it so much that, you know, my husband has has set a rule that I can't be on my device when we are driving. But even though I, <laughs> I, 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 I can't help it, it's like an itch I can't scratch. I still do it. I have always loved social media. I use it. I use it instead of Google. If I want to learn something, I will search it. I use it certainly to communicate. I use it to reach out to people. I have an Instagram uh, live TV series that I do. And I find it the most incredible thing because you get instant answers and instant results. You know, I think there's a lot of negativity on it. And I think that has to change. But I think the positivity outweighs it. You give all kinds of speeches to women executives. I know you did one at my former company, Young Brands, and I remember people uh, raving about it. And I know you just uh, uh, had a talk with J.P. Morgan Chase uh, executives. Uh, what would be the three most important bits of advice you offer up? First of all, be yourself. Be yourself. Know yourself. Because a lot of times we think we have to act a certain way and be a certain way to be successful. And I don't think it's the right way. So, you know, be yourself, know yourself. And don't ever forget about how, how you feel and how people feel. And take care of your health. So be yourself, take care of your health, care about other people. And the third thing is don't be afraid. You know, what's the worst that happens? It doesn't work out. Bobby, this has been a crazy time we're living in. How is Corona virus impacted your business and, and you personally? Well, it's it's been very interesting because, you know, when it first happened, we had no idea and everybody, you know, dispersed and everything was sensitive. You know, what do we put on social media? How could we be selling these supplements during this really tough time? And then, you know, when things calmed down, we realized now it was the time people need to feel better. People need the positivity. I think they, you know, they look to me for that. And so our business, you know, our direct to consumer was 30% down, which I thought wasn't bad. And Walmart actually was down because the stores were closed, but it's back up. And, you know, we opened up more doors. And now our direct to consumer is booming because our products are a good price point and they help people with simple ways to be healthier. And I think that's what people want at home. How can I? How can I be better? How can I feel better? It took three months for me to get a Peloton. You know, it's like, <laughs> and I, fi- I finally got one. So we're in this for the long haul. It's, it's not, we're not out of this tomorrow. Yeah. What do you see happening to the American psyche that, that will be different because of uh, coronavirus? Well, I think that a lot of it has reset people how they think and how they feel and I think it made everyone just pause and realize how you know lucky we are to have our health, how lucky we are to be with loved ones, that we wouldn't have this opportunity otherwise. And I do think that even after there's a vaccine and after the virus somehow magically goes away or whatever, I think people are different. I think people don't want, they want like simpler things. People are still going to be wearing sneakers more than high heels. I think women are going to be having simple hairdos, not 
spending hours and hours, you know, doing all these things they did. I just, I think, and I hope it's going to make people care about other people more. We've all seen so much racial injustice this year and the, the impact of that. How do you think about diversity and inclusion going forward? Well, I have always been someone that, you know, has had friends uh, from many different backgrounds. I, I grew up with, you know, people from different backgrounds. The town we live is completely mixed, both, you know, socioeconomical and, and, and racial. And I've always been so open that when this all happened, for me, it was such a shock because I didn't realize the extent of what people were going through. So yes, was I educated? And am I still being educated? And do I have these intense conversations with my friends of color? Yes. And just, I've learned so much. And the one, you know, to be a mom and to have to worry not just about your kid, God forbid, getting into an accident in a car, but getting arrested and killed because of the color of their skin. That was just the biggest like aha moment for me in this whole thing. So I think the conversation is open and I... I, I hope that, you know, especially like the black founders who I've been helping of these brands that have been having some difficulty with their businesses, I think now is the time that they should seize the opportunity and people are, are ready for, for more diversity. What do you tell a black founder? What do you tell them they, they, they should do? Um, do exactly what they're doing. The same thing that I did as, you know, an entrepreneur founder and, you know, just make sure that you are servicing not just black women, make sure that you have colors for white women too. You know, don't just be, my suggestion is don't just be a brand for one part, be a brand for everybody. And you know what? And don't be in a rush, go slow, try not to take investments and seize every opportunity you have to get known, to get your name out there, to make connections, you know, what and don't don't waste and spend money, but just keep going for it. And I actually reached out on Instagram to a couple different companies and I've become mentors to these founders. And you know, I I shout them out for my social and I give them advice and you know, I, I, I would like someone to do it to me too. That's so. great. You know, speaking of opportunity, I want to take this opportunity to have just a little bit of fun before we wrap this up. And I want to do a lightning round Q&A with you, Bobby. Okay. okay. What three words best describe you? Short, funny, and unexpected. <laughs> What's your biggest pet peeve? People that don't tell the truth and aren't nice. Most famous person you did makeup for? Michelle Obama. If you could be one person other than yourself for a day, who would it be and why? Mm. Oh my God, that's a tough one. Um, I don't want to say Michelle Obama again because I'm such a huge fan of hers. I would say probably my son, Duke. I don't know. He's so capable and talented. And I want to know what is going on in that brain of his. <laughs> What's something about you that few people would know? Well, I danced on stage with Flo Rida and Salt and Pepper. <laughs> That's a good one. Do you have a hidden talent? I do not have a hidden talent, but I love to dance. I, there's nothing I like better than having a cocktail or two and have some like hip hop. I, I, I listen to hip hop music. 
<laughs> Who's the leader you admire most and why? I've always been a fan of Richard Branson. I just think that he, you know, is someone that, you know, has led his his company in interesting ways. Also, Mickey Drexler, who used to be the CEO of J. Crew and The Gap. He's another one. Yeah. You talked about partners earlier. And you have an amazing business partner, uh, your husband, Stephen, who I was, had the opportunity to meet last week as well. What's it like to work with your husband so closely and, and on the business side? And why do you guys gel as partners? Well, first of all, I'm really lucky. He's brilliant. He's smart. He's strong. It is not always easy. Um, I, I get pushed back a lot. And I've learned how not to make things a much bigger deal than they are. He's allowed to say, that's stupid. That's a bad idea. No, um, I don't agree. And I just need to let him say it. And I need to not pounce and have a fight about it. And I think that's the most important thing I learned working with big corporate men is when they say something, all, all you have to do is say, that's a really good idea. <laughs> well, I noticed you have a strong mutual admiration uh, for each other's talents. Uh, yeah, you, well, we're very different. My husband is very creative, which, you know, he does share that. But, you know, he, I, there, I don't always agree with everything he says, and he certainly doesn't always agree with me. I am looking forward to prove him wrong on a few things. And, um, but honestly, I'm really lucky because it's been 32 years of love, mentorship, friendship. And I just got lucky that he is really smart, really capable, and he calms me down. <laughs> that is a challenge, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, you also have three kids you talked about. Uh, how do you do so much and at least seemingly keep it all together? Well, I, I usually have it together. And when I don't have it together, it's okay. Like there's days I don't feel good. There's days that I'm overwhelmed. There's days and it's okay. One thing about me is I know when to take it down a notch and learn to take a little better care of myself. It comes and goes. And I also know everything is a moment. Um, I, I do over schedule myself. It's I'm like, sure, I could do that. Sure, I could do that. And all of a sudden, I'm going from one thing to the other. But after this, I'm done. Oh, no, I have someone coming over for a cocktail, but that's not really work. <laughs> well, I want to take this moment, Bobby, to thank you very much for taking the time in your obviously very, very filled up life uh, to, to share your insights with aspiring leaders out there. I mean, we, we all love to learn. That's why you like to do your podcast. And yep. that's why I like to do mine is so that people can learn from people like you. So thank you very uh, much for sharing. Well, my pleasure. Well, you know, you've, I'm sure you've seen the movie, The Intern. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you ever get really bored, I'd like to offer you an internship. At my <laughs> and I'm not kidding. <laughs> well, I'll have to talk to you more about that. Yeah. One. <laughs> okay. Good. Because yeah, okay. there's a lot for me to learn. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. All You're right. the best. Bye. Right, bye. Bye. What an amazing person Bobby is, and what an amazing career she has had and continues to have, and really. Through it all, she's so good at surrounding herself with the right people. She has a remarkable level of self-awareness, what she's good at and what she's not. And with that, she's able to spot great partners, people whose skills and traits complement hers, 
and together they accomplish so much more. Great leaders know how to surround themselves with great partners whose skills and gifts go hand in hand with their own. And I bet you have someone in your life who's that kind of complimentary partner. Who balances you out? Maybe it's your business partner. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your second in command. Maybe it's a colleague you just collaborate with really, really well. Well, this week, as part of your weekly personal development plan, I want you to send them a quick note. First, tell them why you appreciate them so much. Second, ask them, what do you wish I understood about you better? And then say, hey, how do you think we can even work better as a team using the unique skills and gifts we have? Open up that dialogue with those key partners in your life, and I know you will grow a ton from it. So do you want to know how leaders lead? What we learned today is that great leaders surround themselves with the right partners. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple on each episode that you can apply to your business so that you will become the best leader you can be.